So we continue our series. This is our penultimate session uh, entitled Believe, as we've been looking at this unique relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Trinity, of which it takes some kind of getting our heads around. And it's really, really well documented in this uh, incredible story or this, this time called the Farewell Discourse, which is documented only in the Gospel of John, John 14 to 17, four chapters. It is the uh, hours after the Last Supper leading up to Jesus' arrest and then uh, obviously the crucifixion. And Jesus is with his nearest and dearest, the remaining 11 disciples. Judas has left them to go betray Jesus. And he has this most incredible um, conversation with his disciples, preparing them for what's to come. And as part of that, he, uh, he prays. And we're going to look at the prayers that he prays because it's the final chapter in chapter 17. But just to give us a little bit of a summary of some of the content of that conversation, in, uh, in John 14, he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. And he, he begins to say, he's going to be going. Uh, he, he reminds them, he says these well-known uh, words that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and the way to the Father. And he begins to introduce this common theme between the unique relationship that Jesus the Son has with the Father. Um, he also talks on numerous occasions about the person of the Holy Spirit, and he promises the Holy Spirit that it's for your good that he comes. And we talked during that week about Jesus could only be one person in one place at one time, but the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, and the Holy Spirit is with us and in us at all times, in all places across the, the whole of the world. And we also talked about what the Holy Spirit's role is or the personality of the Holy Spirit that he's sent to teach us, to remind us, to convict us of our sin. And he will only speak on behalf of what the Father and the Son is known as the advocate, is known as the counselor. Uh, Jesus talks uh, in chapter 15 about the vine and the branches, that he is the vine and that we are the branches and that we must remain and we must abide in him. Jesus tells his disciples, the world's going to hate you. See, when I'm gone, don't be surprised. You are going to suffer persecution. You will be hated because of me. All along, he's preparing them. He's preparing them. He's preparing them for his death that is coming very soon. But he's also preparing them because in 50 days' time, he's going to ascend and be with the Father again. And he's encouraging and saying, but don't worry. Your sorrow will turn to joy. Leading up, the last things that he says, it's a prayer. He prays for three in three areas. First of all, he prays for himself. Secondly, he prays for his disciples who are there. And then thirdly, he prays for new believers, future believers, which includes us. And we're going to look at that bit next week. So let's dive in. The first five verses, Jesus prays for himself. John Chapter 17, if you have your Bibles, otherwise the words come up on the screen. After Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your glory may, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, 
and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. The hour has come. Time is up. Jesus knows what's to come and ultimately what is about to unfold. And he prays to the Father, and he starts his prayer by simply saying these words, Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. And he ends by saying, Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. Let's just be clear. There was nothing glorious about what was to come. He was soon to be arrested. He was soon to be put on this mockery of a trial. He was soon to be stripped of his clothing, to be beaten in his face. He was soon to be uh, whipped with the most barbaric whip 40 times and then made to carry a wooden crossbeam to Golgotha, to his place of death. It was the most shameful, not glorifying um, thing that was about to unfold for him. And in this prayer, before this death which was to come, he prays to the Father saying, glorify me in a way that I might glorify you. He is not praying self-seeking, looking for glory himself. Rather, through his obedience, through his self-sacrifice, or his self-denial, that through that act of obedience, he would glorify his Father, that he would take this shameful, uh, barbaric execution, the symbol of a cross, taking it from something of shame to something that was uh, glorifying and honoring through his self-sacrifice and love. He even prays for the forgiveness of those who actually nail him to the cross. Also contained in this prayer for himself is inserted an interesting prayer. He says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. An interesting statement about eternity, life forever. Life is more than the ability to move and to breathe. Life is the greatest gift which we possess, which comes from God. For us to continue to live, we must be fed, clothed, and sheltered. In contrast, God does not require these things to nurture himself, as he is the very existence of life itself. All we are, all we have comes from him, the giver of life. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The Old Testament saw death merely as the ending of one's life. And yet Solomon, the writer of this incredible book uh, called Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3 says, he has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. The New Testament had a slightly different understanding of death or, or conveyance of death. Death was seen really as the ultimate consequence of sin separating us from God, the source of life, which is very different than just simply one passing away uh, in terms of the physical passing of death. Sin separates from us from God, and yet because of Jesus, 
who had conquered death, we might have life in all its fullness, meaning eternal life. That's the hope to which we profess. That's the way when we attend um, a funeral of a loved one who we knew was a believer. Why? Because death does not hold them as in that one place. It's just a mere moving from one place to another because life continues and it is for eternity. Whenever our earthly bodies give up, our soul will move on and will go to be with Jesus, the conqueror of death forever and ever. Jesus prays now for his disciples. We continue to read uh, verse 6 through to 17. I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine. And glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them. By the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe. By that name you gave me, none has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so that scripture would be fulfilled. I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. He begins praying for the disciples, saying, I've done my bit. I have completed my task. Those that you, Father, have entrusted to me, your son, have remained with me, all but one, which was Judas, who was there to, uh, to fulfill what Scripture had uh, foretold. They have obeyed your word. They have accepted the words that came from you, Father, they know and believe you, Father, that you sent me to be with them. And he prays, knowing that in 50 days' time, he's no longer going to be with them. He explains to his disciples and documents all of this in the previous chapters, which we read about and spoke about earlier. He is now praying for his faithful ones, preparing them that very soon uh, he is not going to be with them any longer as he leaves this world. Jesus has come and he's talked, he's ushered in the kingdom, the kingdom which was probably Jesus' most favorite subject as he spoke about uh, heaven's kingdom here on earth. Jesus taught, he spoke, he demonstrated the things of the kingdom. He did that through his words, through the things that he taught. He did that through his works, through the way that he treated one another and he did it through his wonders, through the miraculous which came through him. 
And he did that, and he demonstrated that, and he, re- he ushered in the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Heaven's reality, heaven's resources here in the now. But there's still plenty of the world in the world, if you get what I mean. And as Jesus is praying, he says, glory has come to me. He's praying to the Father, he's saying as the Son, glory, glory, I have received glory through my disciples. As I was pondering that, I was beginning to think, goodness, how, what did that look like? This had been a reality whilst Jesus had been with them over the three years. The disciples had brought glory to Jesus. Their attitudes, their behaviors towards one another and towards other people had changed. They were no longer these ragamuffins just uh, taken from the shores of of Galilee. They were now apprentices of Jesus, and very soon it was going to be over to them on their own, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And they had brought glory to Jesus, having been in his presence, watching, observing, learning, listening, asking questions. And then, of course, they had gone and done the stuff. They had gone and done the Jesus stuff. Jesus had empowered them and had sent them out in twos into the villages and the towns to go raise the dead, to go heal the sick, to go cast out demons. And in Jesus' name, the stuff happened. Glory had been brought to Jesus through the disciples, and they had brought him uh, glory. It was his intention, and he knew that in his departing, it was going to be his intention, that glory would come to him through his disciples. For us as believers today, it's the exact same. We were meant for his glory. Our very lives are meant for his glory. We use this word worship to kind of uh, demonstrate and describe what we do at the front here with a guitar through a microphone and we stand up. We might put our arms up even. We might close our eyes. Yes, that is worship. And it's what we love. It's a big part. It's a, a high value of ours at Vineyard. Why? Because we come into his presence. We give of ourselves to him, which is the only thing he gets out of the deal and the relationship. But worship so much more. Everything about our lives has the ability to bring him honor, to bring him glory. It's the thing that the enemy most fears about what God's entrusted to you. It's the thing that the enemy would love to rob, kill, and destroy so that you would not bring him glory. And each one of us is uniquely designed, gifted, given um, all kinds of manner of, uh, of tasks and talents to bring him glory. How? By remaining in the vine. By being connected. Being in relationship with him. By listening to his voice. To obeying his voice. To acting on the things that he tells us to. By reading what the scriptures say. And going and doing them. Uh, the life group that, that I lead together with Nathan um, on Tuesdays, I've been loving. Um, and uh, this week we were talking about the, the main and the plain, the, the scriptures. What do the scriptures teach? And that was the recurring question, was what do the scriptures teach? What does it say in the book? If we're not reading the book, how are we going to know what it says? If we don't know what he's saying to us through our word, how can we begin to obey? We bring him glory 
by listening and by doing what he requires of us. Jesus knows that in his departure, the disciples are going to have to fend for themselves. They're going to act for themselves. They're going to have to do it for themselves. And he knows that the world is a fickle place. There are things in our world that are enticing. And Jesus knows that there is an enemy that is very, very, very clever and manipulative of getting our attention and taking our gaze and taking our eyes off of him and placing it on to other things. He says in his prayer, doesn't he, that I haven't lost any of them, Father, except the one uh, where he speaks about Judas. In so doing, he moves to what is probably the most important part of the prayer, and that's that the Father would protect his disciples. Jesus says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And he also says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. I remember years ago, um, I was about 19. I was, um, I was a Christian three years, but only properly a year. I kind of messed about a bit for the first year or so, uh, but got really serious. And uh, I was on this kind of youth weekend away as a leader at 19. And uh, all these teenagers, like ourselves as just young adults really, were really just, I guess, this sounds naff, but falling in love with Jesus. We were just, we were just undone as we sung the worship songs. And very soon our lives began to, to change. Our, our focus and our attention came off of the things of the world. We were no longer so consumed with, uh, with all the stuff that the world gives us or presents to us or offers to us. And I remember uh, being part of this discussion. Someone had, had said, oh, yeah, it says something about being in the world but not of the world. And we're saying, yeah, sure, that's in the Bible. And we're like, well, where is it in the Bible? And honestly, it, it ensued this, this Bible search of where in the book does it say it. In those days, we didn't have Google. In Google, you could have just typed it in, and it kind of would have taken you straight there. In the olden days, I feel really old now. I'm kind of heartened when I look at Ivan. He's sort of chuckling because I know he's even older. But, but we had a thing called a concordance. A concordance was you looked up key words, and it sort of steered you towards where it might be. And we were literally pouring through these concordances. That's a really good word. That's the word for the day. Is, is looking for where did it actually say that? Because it doesn't actually say that. But it's kind of a mishmash of those verses that I've seen. And if nothing else, we can still kind of take it as a phrase. To live in the world, but not be enticed and live by the things that the world has to offer and teach us. Jesus is saying, I'm sending you into the world. His intention is that they would be salt and light in the world, into our families, neighborhoods, workplaces. And especially Jesus was sending them into dark places where the glory of God, where the kingdom of God needed to break out. And in many ways, Jesus knows he is sending them into battle. 
kid you not, that's what it's like. We look on the TV and we look at incredible, brave men and women that go in camouflage uniforms. And I highly um, admire those that choose to do that. And they go onto the battlefield and, and they may suffer the ultimate cost there. In many ways, this is the same. Jesus is sending them, and he sends us to do battle, literally. And he's not saying, Father, take them out of the world. I'm putting them in the world, but protect them from the evil one. Protect them to live in it, but not live by the ways of it. Two cautions, and then we've come into land. The first one is this. Jesus intended that we did this together. He never sends us out on our own. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom of heaven. We are meant to do this together as family. One of the most difficult things of lockdowns has been isolation. And the enemy has used it to isolate many of us as believers and keep us from being in church. I'm not saying that to make any of us feel guilty or bad. That's just the reality of what's happened. And we are called to be together as church, to have community, to journey together. But here is the caution. He never intended us to remain in holy huddles, to remain in the castle with big walls that we just spend all of our time with Christians, spending all of our time doing church stuff. That is never God's intention. Wimber used to say the meat is on the street. And he simply means it's out there in amongst the people doing the Jesus stuff. He was sending them into the world to be his hands and feet. The crescendo is unfolding. Soon it's going to be over to the disciples. And here's my second caution. As we're in the world, let's be careful and cautious that we don't become lovers of the world. There are some things of this world which are enticing, but they are destructive. There are some wonderful God-given things that the Lord gives us and allows us and permits us to, to enjoy, but too much of those things can also be destructive and can uh, bring great harm on us. Let's not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Let's not just go along with what culture and society is teaching us and telling us. Let's keep going back to what the scriptures say and reminding ourselves what is God's will and want for our lives. How do we live in the world but not of it? We stay connected to the vine. We remain in him. We abide in him, and we do this with one another. 